Welcome to Extension Out Loud, Season 3, Episode 5. I'm Paul Treadwell. And I'm Katie Bailden. And school's out. It is. Not quite, but... <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Time to start thinking about getting prepared for what you're going to do with your kids when school's out. So for this episode, we talked to a couple of folks who know some things. Right. We talked to Sean Teedy, who is the New York State 4-H camp specialist for the whole state. And we also talked to Jim Hooper, who is camp manager of 4-H Camp Bristol Hills in Canandaigua, New York. That's right. And you'll learn a lot about camps and what 4-H does with camping in this episode. Mm -hmm. We'll also include the link to the 4-H Camps website, so you'll be able to access that if you're interested in signing your children up. Yeah, there are nine 4-H camps and five 4-H day camps, so there's a lot of options depending on where you live. I'm Sean TD. I'm the state 4-H camping specialist, so I work uh, statewide with all of our camping programs across the state of New York, both our resident camps and our day camps. So I'm currently based out of Genesee County mm -hmm. and work across the state. So. I'm Jim Hooper. I'm with 4-H Camp Bristol Hills. We're based out of Ontario County Cooperative Extension in Canandaigua. I've been with Extension since 2005, and I oversee the daily operations of camp as well as the preparation hiring staff. So what can you tell us about camp in 4-H? Why does 4-H have a camp program? <laughs> All right, I'll go first. Um, I think over the course of a typical summer, we camp about 10,000 campers. And I think one of the most maybe unrecognized but yet important things that our camps do is we have a significant portion of contact time programming time with campers. Our camps also create a community and a sense of belonging at a really intense and personal level where campers can come to a summer camp and be who they are and express themselves in their own way in a very safe environment. Do you have to be a 4-H member to come to camp? Not at all. In fact, the majority, by far the majority, are not 4-H members. And we do open enrollment for all of those campers every single year. And we do have a number of returning campers, but not nearly as many as we would like because there are just so many camping opportunities nowadays. Right. And how many camps does New York State 4-H operate at this point? So we have nine resident camps, okay. so nine overnight camps uh, located throughout the state. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have additionally a number of day camps on top of that. Some of our resident camps run day camps, but then we also have about half a dozen day camps that we're working with now that are pretty significant in their size and scope of operation. So I'd be interested to hear how each of you got started with camp. A long time ago, in a land far away, <laughs> um, I started going to camp as an eight-year-old boy, and I haven't missed a summer since. So Seriously? A lot wow. of years of either going to camp or working on camp staff or now sort of in the administration management side of the camp operation. So for at least 20 years you've been doing this. That's very kind of you. <laughs> yes. Correct. <laughs> Jim? Um, I actually started out as a family thing. My father was a minister and I grew up in the church camping world. Uh -huh. And so I actually started going to camp when I was about six months old. And I took my first job working in the kitchen at my church camp, um, worked there for a couple of years, and then moved into a county camp situation, worked in the county camps for about six years, and then moved into the county park system for a while, where I got out of camps for about a decade or so, mm -hmm. did environmental education, agriculture education, and then this opportunity came up to get back into the camping world, and I, I jumped on it. It was, it was a piece of my life that I had begun to miss mm -hmm. after so much time away. Mm -hmm. So. I just want to make your life a little simpler here. 
forage camps do not take six month olds, right? No. Okay. No. So, so you, you got an early start, but that's not a four H thing. Yeah. No. That was. I mean, that was just a family camper. I mean, you know, yeah. sort of we thing. do we do go younger now than we ever have before, but not that young. <laughs> so, what is the starting age? Just since we're wrestling with this, I think Jim at Bristol Hills, their campus runs some of the youngest. Yeah, we program. start um, going into kindergarten. Wow. We now say going into kindergarten and five years old. Uh, we had a few four year olds that were coming in, and it was programmatically challenging to be working with a day camp that was running for kindergarten to third grade. And so we had like four-year-olds with eight-year-olds, and that becomes programmatically difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we've kind of now raised it to five years of age going into kindergarten. And that's a day camp, not a residence. It is a day camp, although we do offer an overnight camp for kids going into first through third grade. For our program, it's called Sprout Camp, and that's a three-day, two-night overnight program. It's really designed for kids who have been going to day camp for a year or two Mm -hmm. and really feel like they're ready to go away from home. And I think that transition is just as important for the parents as it is for the camper themselves, because a lot of parents aren't used to letting their kids out of sight for more than 30 minutes at a time. So to turn them over to a group of camp staff for three days is a a big leap. Give us a little bit of a history lesson about camps. How did 4-H camps particularly come to be? in New York State, and what were some of the founding principles or idea behind 4-H camps in the beginning, and then how maybe it's evolved over time? I think initially it was to 4-H camps, it was a chance to get our agricultural youth off the farm for a week, Mm -hmm. get them to a summer camp sort of experience, vacation, sort of vacation, and get away. You asked how we've evolved over time. I think there's still a bit of that, but culturally, I think Summer camp has become a place for any child to get away for a week. So what's a typical day like for a camper at one of your camps? I think that's an interesting question. We run the the nine overnight camps. Each of them operates completely independently. Mm -hmm. And so the way that a camper day would look like at our camp is going to be very, very different than, say, a camper day at Camp Wyamoko or Dorothy P. Flint or one of the other overnight camps. In our particular program at Bristol Hills, campers are going to get up each morning. We do breakfast uh, collectively as a whole camp at 8 o'clock. And then after breakfast, we rotate through a series of four morning class periods. For our resident camp program, they're going to choose the four classes they're going to do. They're going to do those same four classes each day for the five days that they're there. And then afternoon, uh, we, we do our lunch, obviously. We have a rest period. And then we rotate through two afternoon recreation periods, one of which is going to be a free swim, so every camper gets a chance to swim. The other is going to be a free choice activity that they're going to sign up for that morning. It's going to be a one-day event. So, you know, the kid might want to try craft project, but he doesn't want to be stuck into a full week long of crafts. So he can sign up to make a craft one afternoon and not have to do it every day. I think the mealtimes are one of the pieces of a camper's life that is part of that community building that Sean talked about. You know, we run... I think 11 different programs simultaneously throughout the season at 4-H Camp Bristol Hills. So there's a lot of different pieces that are moving, and the one time that everybody is together is the mealtime. And I think Jim's example of a typical day at 4-H Camp Bristol Hills, although every one of our camps is unique and different, it's a pretty typical daily schedule. I think one of the things that Jim touched on is really the daily experience at a 4-H camp offers both the depth and breadth of activities and programs which really brings the uniqueness to our camp environment, uh, where a a camper can really go deep into a program area, whatever that might be, but then have another opportunity to make a free choice each day on their own as a camper. And I think that's a very important part of our camp experience as well. If I'm a parent and I'm looking at sending my kid to a 4-H camp, I want to know 
how do you choose the camp counselors? What's the process? How do you develop the infrastructure that's going to support my child? We're very busy at that right now, this time of year. Across the state, we hire roughly 450 counselors. The majority of them are 18 and older. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, there's lots of uh, requirements and, and things like that in the state of New York and the American Camp Association and Cornell Cooperative Extension that lead us to that direction in terms of age of hiring. And we look for counselors that have been with us in the past is because it takes a lot of effort to get them trained up to speed. So about 12 years ago or so, in some places we were only doing staff training for two and a half days. Mm-hmm. That was normal back then. We now have camps that are doing three weeks of staff training. Wow. So th- th- before they see a camper, three weeks of training mm-hmm. because we've learned more about uh, what the camp experience is, what youth development is about, what the 4-H experience is about. So the more training that we can offer a staff member, the better. And so we look for specific skills. Some of our camps have horse programs. Some have ropes programs. Some have the North Shore of Long Island programs, which is very different than a swimming pool experience. And so there's lots of variation among the skills that we're looking for. But I think in general, you're looking for a young adult that can be a positive role model for the young people that they will be in cabins with or in program areas with over the course of the summer. It's a hard job. It's a, <laughs> being a camp counselor is one of the hardest jobs around. There are a lot of camps scattered across the state. Why... As a parent, would I pick a 4-H camp over, let's say, a Y camp or any other camp? You know, I think there are a number of camps across the state. I mean, we have counties where we have 4-H camps that there's 24, 28 other camps. So the competition is intense. And then you look at sports camps Mm -hmm. on college campuses and things like that. They're just everywhere nowadays. Technology camps are popular. Hmm. I think, you know, a lot of those camps, there's a requirement of some sort, whether you be a member of that organization to attend, whether you have the skill set, if it's a football camp or, Mm -hmm. you know, a lacrosse camp or something like that. 4-H camp doesn't have those. We're literally open to anyone and everyone that is seeking a camp experience, which is again, is a, is sort of a unique niche for the 4-H camps to be right now. Uh, and there are certainly other organizations that are the same that have some similar sorts of enrollment framework. But for 4-H, it's just wide open. You can come and experience camp. That does bring up the point, though. When is enrollment season? We start enrollment January 1, and we'll keep going until our beds are filled. Mm. We are in the fortunate position that some of our camps will fill fairly soon, fairly early. Even within our own camp, some of our programs will be a little bit lower enrolled until we get closer to camp. Where do folks go to find information about enrolling in camps? NYS4HCamps.org will get you to the State 4-H page, which lists all of our camps and links to all of the camp websites. And we'll certainly put a link to that in our... Show notes, yeah. 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 <laughs> that was that one. This, this would, I would say if there is a sort of peak season for enrollment, now is the, yeah, is the time. As the weather well. starts to break and people mm-hmm. start to, as parents start to think, where are my children going to go this summer? What are we going to do with them? And there's typically uh, probably maybe half our camps have various things like early bird opportunities, yeah. different sorts of enrollment incentives, which will be coming up in mid-April. So looping back to something you said, Jim, you mentioned that campers put down their cell phones for a week. Is that kind of a, a camp policy to leave yeah, the cell I think phones in the I tablets? think it's pretty customary across all uh-huh. the 4-H camps. Uh, I think it's still 
fairly customary across most traditional summer camp programs. There are certain camps across the country that are beginning to allow some of that technology, but in the 4-H world, it's still pretty entrenched that we're trying to instill that separation from technology, that immersion into the nature experience, community building. It's one of those things that even our campers, after spending a week with us, will begin to understand that it was a good thing to let go of their phones for a week. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure they're going home and checking in immediately, (laughs) but I think, you know, as they're walking out the door, I think they, they honestly do appreciate the value of being able to give that up for a week. What is some of the value of disconnecting, do you think? I think there are a lot of different benefits, but I think some of it really focuses around that community building that we try to focus on at 4-H camps. Mm -hmm. The ability to actually have a conversation with a person one-to-one, face-to-face, and and not be so glued to the screen. and be. I think there's a a sense of anonymity when somebody's behind a computer screen and they can say and do things that they wouldn't do if they were in person. And actually having that visual contact with somebody helps them to develop some of that empathy and that ability to connect on a deeper, more personal level Mm -hmm. um, that really helps to foster that community experience that we value so much in the 4-H camp world. Being present, as Jim said, just having a conversation with somebody face-to-face is sometimes a different, unique thing that they don't do on a daily basis. So uh, Mm -hmm. it's that being present in that community building is so important to what we do. Are kids sleeping in cabins? Are they sleeping in tents? Tell me about the the infrastructure that supports my child. There's so much. I'm in the the unique position that I'm in uh, with the New York State 4-H camping program is I actually go physically visit all of our facilities at least once, if not twice, throughout the course of the summer. Mm -hmm. So there are some weeks where it's grilled cheese for lunch three, four (laughs) days in a row for me as I travel about, which is not always a bad thing. But I would say uh, in terms of where do our campers sleep? It, primarily cabins. Mm-hmm. We do have some opportunities, some new programs staring up this coming summer. One at 4-H Camp Bristol Hills. And we also have a couple of others that do some uh, outdoor adventure. So they do a hike out overnight to the top of a, a nearby mountain uh-huh. or they hike out for the whole week. And there's another one or two camps that have tent camping sites. But primary bases in a cabin varying in size from maybe six to 30 other campers, Mm -hmm. along with counselors in the cabin. Food has definitely become healthier over the years. All of our camps have salad bars now that didn't exist when I was a kid. There was, mm-hmm. wasn't even a thought. Um, and generally not just a bowl of lettuce and you know tomatoes and carrots to throw on there. Most of our camps have pretty extensive salad bars. Again, giving our campers the choice if they would like to have something else. Food is definitely improved, but then there still are some of the basics that have always been around in camp meals. We do have a nursing staff Mm -hmm. at all of our camps, and so we're able to deal with pretty well all the variety of allergies and various other things that we might have. When you bring 200 young people together with a staff of 50 plus, there's a small community built every week. And so uh, our health officer staff across the state is pretty adept at managing all those things along with their camp directors. Great. One of the opportunities that we've had for a lot of growth has been in serving a lot of campers with diverse needs. So I don't remember the exact statistic, but there was something like 40% of our campers come to camp with some sort of a special need. And it might range from as simple as an asthma issue where they're going to have to, you know, have an inhaler available to, you know, medical things like diabetics, mm-hmm. um, to vegan option, you know, choices. So really across the gamut, it's not unusual for our camp cook to be feeding 250 people and 
have probably you know up to 10 or 15 of those kids that are going to have to have an entirely separately prepared meal um, and trying to balance those things. Likewise with our nursing staff, we'll residentially have up to 200 people living on our camp property and a good number of those may have to come down on a regular basis daily, three times a day for different treatments. Um, it's one of those trends that's really affected how camp operates and one of the reasons that I think 4-H camp is so valuable because we are able to accommodate a lot of those needs. We've got a camper coming this year with a medical note from her cardiologist because she has a syndrome that she can't be more than 90 seconds away from an AED and a, tra- a staff person trained in CPR first aid. Wow. And it's one of those things that we just have to weigh out the risks and say, yeah, it's a risk, and yes, we can accommodate that, and we're going to let that kid come to camp. And so, you know, I think those kinds of things are the success stories that allow campers to have an experience at 4-H camp that they may not be able to get at their local corner park that's doing a day camp program for something. Initially, when you think about this particular camper who can't be that far from a defibrillator, it's like, well, that's a problem. But if you flip it on the other side, it's really this tremendous opportunity to, to It is. And I think, you know, with this particular camper, she's been wanting to go to camps for a long time, but she's always been excluded and always been denied and and hasn't ever been allowed to go to camp. And so this is a real win for her to be able to be feeling like she's a part of the same team that all of her peers are on. And I think our camps being able to adapt across the state to whatever the camper needs are. There are situations like Jim just shared that our camps will work with families individually to, is it a good fit? Because if it is, we want to provide that camper that experience on the rare occasion it isn't the camping world is big enough that we're able to say you know what here's a camp that we know would be great it'll be a good fit for you we try really hard to make sure every camper that approaches us gets a summer camp experience hopefully with us but if not we can get them someplace can we talk a little bit more about what some of those specialty camps are and then the different programming that's available in some of the more general camps as well Sure. So specialty camps, 4-H Camp Bristol Hills has one of our largest catalogs of specialty programming. Uh, so I would let Jim, uh, you know, he can go ahead and start and then I'll fill in the, uh, maybe some other so programming. So we kind of built our base on our resident camp program. That's our traditional summer camp program where kids are going to come, they're going to be assigned into a cabin, they're going to pick their morning classes and do all the things that we think of at summer camp. We also run a day camp program, which is geared for the younger kids, kids going into kindergarten through second grade. And then we offered the flip side of both of those. So we have a shortened three-day, two-night overnight stay for the young campers called Sprout Camp. And then we also run a full-length program for older kids who want to go home at night called Progression Camp. And that's a camp where they're going to come in and do all the same things that our resident campers do, but they go home at 4 o'clock. In addition to those basic four, which kind of make up the core of our program, we offer things like our culinary arts program that we're partnered with the New York Kitchen, where they come in and actually provide the facilitators, teach the kids how to prepare a meal. The kids end up doing a big dinner. We are doing a, an animation camp this year with a graphic designer from a major company in the Rochester market. We also run some of our own specialty programs internally. We run a young women's adventure camp designed for girls in middle school where they can have that girl time to be able to discuss things like peer pressure and body image and dating and diet and all these different things where every girl feels like they're the only person in the world who ever has to deal with those things. And now they've actually got a forum that they can have those discussions with a trained and educated staff member who can facilitate those discussions. We do a similar program for young men's adventure camp. We run a ropes course program camp. We run a counselor and training program. We run a leadership and training program. 
So, Sean, we just have to give some due to the other camps here, since Bristol Hill has <laughs> these specialty programs. What are some other examples that we might find around the state? So sort of the core programming that Jim talked about is pretty similar across the state. Things like uh, nature and archery, arts and crafts, uh, some sort of water activity, whether it be a waterfront or a pool. Those are pretty standard across all of our camping programs. You know, specialty programs, it can be all variety of things. I think on an annual basis, we have been fortunate enough to receive funding for some sort of camping program for military youth. Mm-hmm. Again, this summer we'll be running a day camp at the Niagara Falls Air Reserve Station for uh, Air Force youth. And so that uh, it's a really unique opportunity, a really unique audience. So there's that sort of example. And as I think through our other programs uh, up at 4-H Camp Overlook, they have a week-long outdoor where they go hike in the Adirondack Mountains. Mm -hmm. So you can sign up for that internally within their camping program. Mm -hmm. Many of our camps across the state will have some sort of local person or entity or organization, like Jim mentioned, the uh, culinary camp. There's many of those sorts of programs Mm -hmm. across the state. So if I want to learn more about these, I can go to the 4-H, New York State 4-H camp website? Yeah, you can go there and check out each of the sites. And truly, we have camps across the state. Mm-hmm. So we pretty well cover the entire state of New York. If I'm in Livingston County and I want to go to Bristol Hills or Wyamoko or one of the other camps, is that a problem? Is is there any regional exclusions? Camps might say, like, hey, you should pick us over <laughs> well, the other. But well, no, yes. any, anybody could um, go to any camp. Yeah. So if I find that specialty program for my daughter, I can take her down to Flint yeah. in Long yeah. Island. We have campers that come up from Long Island to go to Bristol Hills and Wyamoko and uh, Overlook, you know, which are mm-hmm. about as far away as you can get. And we have two camps on Long Island. Can you talk a little bit about the camp body, with the, where the campers are coming from? Yeah, the, the campers are coming from all over. Mm-hmm. Um, there's and, I, and again, I think as camps have progressed over the years, I think the draw on the rural population, I think, has just sort of morphed into uh, some of the more urban and suburban populations just by the nature of where society is living mm-hmm. nowadays. We do have some opportunities coming up this year, and we've had some in past years that specifically are open to youth from urban environments. We've had a partnership through the uh, National 4-H Council, through the Walt Disney Conservation Fund for five-ish years or so that was offering urban youth an opportunity for a summer camp experience. Mm -hmm. So we had youth from New York City, Rochester, and Buffalo that didn't have a previous camp experience but through this opportunity, we're able to experience summer camp for the first time. So uh, that was a pretty cool opportunity that we've had for a number of years. This year, we have a, another opportunity funded through the National 4-H Council. Three of our camps will receive funding for this opportunity, and they've each targeted a local population that is not uh, naturally drawn to the camp experience. Mm-hmm. So again, opening the door to a new audience and offering them a summer camp experience that they wouldn't otherwise have. One of the things to go to your earlier question that that's important to say for anybody that might be considering sending their child to a 4-H camp is here in the state of New York, every camp that we operate receives an operating permit Mm -hmm. to meet a minimum set of standards that is required by the state and by the local authorities. And we're inspected a minimum of two times throughout the course of a summer based on the level of activities that we offer 
so as a minimum, there is that. And I think that's just important to say because it's not that way across the country. Is there a connection between some of the faculty on campus here at Cornell and the students on here at, uh, on campus here at Cornell and, and the camps? Are they getting out there and seeing what's going on and engaging? Again, we have Jim Hooper with us, <laughs> who has some of the best connections here on campus, be, partly because of their physical location. Yeah, right? yeah we're, we're blessed at 4-H Campus Hills because we're fairly close to the campus here. We're about an hour and a half off of campus, and so we've had the opportunity to make some of those connections. Um, our executive director, Tim Davis, was formerly in my position and has done a lot of work to build that bridge so that faculty members and, and interns will view us as an outreach source. We've been really fortunate to bring in different faculty members from a variety of different departments, from you know youth development, from food science, to be able to come in and, and run some activities with our groups, to run some discussion groups. We had we had um, uh, one of the faculty members and her interns doing a whole like three-year study on how journal writing affected you know your processing of the of the camp experience and allowed you to deal with crises internally a little bit easier. It's really been interesting to be a part of some of that research. We've been working with Charlie Izzo out of the Bronfenbrenner Center, who was doing a video feedback project where interns would come in and videotape our staff as they were interacting with campers outside of the traditional education model. And, and just kind of looking at those, you know, those really simple discussions that happen when a staff member and a camper are interacting as they're walking to the next class or as they're getting ready for a mealtime, but then sitting down with a staff member and reviewing the footage and understanding, like, what happened here that made this a successful experience? And how can we use that to make our program better in other places, to make you a better staff member in other places? You know, earlier you would ask, why would I choose a 4-H camp? Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the reasons why you would choose a 4-H camp. Sean mentioned earlier about how 4-H camps are open to everybody, and that's not a criteria that you see among some organizations. You know, I think we are inclusive, but we also have that that credibility factor by being affiliated with a national 4-H program, by being affiliated with a cooperative extension system. Do you have any favorite camp stories you want to share? <laughs> not like scary ghost stories, but... I think there's... There's so many stories that happen over the course of the summer. I think back over the years, and there's times where there's a a camper and the parents, and they're so attached on Sunday. And as a director, you can see it. You can see it's happening, and then it's time for the parents to leave. And everybody's, like, sort of nervous or upset, and... And then by the end of the week, when you see that camper is leading their cabin through activities, you know, you have those moments as a, as a camp director, as someone as a, 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 in this youth development profession to see that you've had that ability over the course of the week to help that youth feel comfortable and grow and, and be confident in themselves. And then at the end of the week to see the parents come in. And, uh, and just be beaming that their that their child did survive without them for a week <laughs> um, and uh, quite successfully. And so, uh, and, and th- one of the things that is also different nowadays is the connection with parents mm-hmm. and that relationship with parents is uh, it takes much more effort nowadays than it used to, and um, it's very important. And uh, so, when you have those opportunities and those success stories, when all parties involved are seeing success at the end of a week. Uh, that's that's when it's a you feel really good about what you've done uh, yeah. through the course of that time. Nice. Yeah, I, I you know I think anybody who builds a profession out of working in the summer camp world um, 
all of us kind of have that defining moment that something happened at camp that really kind of provided that anchor and, and helped us to realize that this is where we belong. Um, you know, certainly there are a lot of a lot of other influences that would say you should be doing something you know different with your life. Um, but I think people who live in camp understand that camp has that intrinsic value. Um, you know, I think one of those experiences that I had on fairly early in my career, I uh, was working with a camper on a ropes course program. We had a, we had worked through the entire week um, with this particular set of about 12 girls. Um, and it came to the end of the week and then we were doing the zip line. And one of these girls was just deathly afraid of heights. And with her whole team cheering her on, she managed to climb the tree and got to the top of the zip line platform and then just absolutely froze, shut down, not communicating, was you know hysterical, was crying, whatever. Um, and it took us an awful long time. It was in the vicinity of three hours what? to be able to walk her through being able to leave the platform and be able to go down the zip line. Um, and it's one of those things that as uh, the manager of the ropes course program, it's always kind of stuck in my mind. Like, was that the right thing for that particular camper? Because, you know, you reach a point where you let the child struggle for long enough that it might just be too much. And wh at what point are you going to have that adverse effect? And so, you know, that kind of weighs heavily on your mind. Um, but she finally, you know, completed the experience. We helped her through it. We had to figure out what it was that was scaring her. We made some modifications. She completed the, ex the activity. Um, the next Sunday, she was coming back to camp for a second week. And her father comes up with her up the stairs and was, you know, I was at the front steps greeting people. And he kind of pulled me off to the side. He said, were you the guy that was working with my daughter last Friday on the zip line? And I was like, oh, boy, he's either going to <laughs> slug me or thank me. It's going to go one way or the other. And he basically just wanted to, to let me know what an impact that it had. Turned out that this particular camper had a whole lot of personal baggage. She had been hit by a car a year prior, had missed an entire year of school, missed all the connections with her peers, really felt alienated. And, and the fact that her team, her, her group of 12 girls and the staff members that were working with her were willing to stick it out with her and to be patient with her and not make fun of her um, and allowed her to have that experience was like life-changing for that kid. Um, and that was, I don't know, 2007, 2008. It was a long time ago. Last year, we actually got an application from that person that wants to come back to camp now as a staff member. She's been out in the real world for 10 years. And, and that moment, that day was like, that's an anchor for her that she needs to be at camp. And so that was, that was an exciting, like little success for, for me personally, that I think, you know, all of us who work in camps, if you work in camp long enough, you're going to have those kind of moments that they kind of trigger that response. Please find more information about 4-H Camp in the show notes, including a sign up for the Extension Out Loud mailing list and a link to our listener survey. This episode wraps up our third season. Thank you for listening to Extension Out Loud, brought to you by Cornell Cooperative Extension. This episode of Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell with help and advice from Katie Belden and R.J. Anderson. Music